0: Hey yeah.
1: okay, Russ, thank you very much for joining me.
0: Great to be here. Good to see you, Wes.
1: It's uh I've been looking forward to doing this one for a while. We spoke about it um I think we may have spoke about it a few years ago when we were um in St. Andre and then we mentioned it again when we were in Pedro. So it's great yeah. to to get you on, mate, and chat, you know? Good
0: to finally be here, yeah, to hook it up.
1: So um how's uh how's life for you lockdown wise, mate? What's work? Why you are you quiet are you still doing stuff around work or are you just chill now in lockdown
0: well we've pretty much closed the the ozone office um as soon as the government closed it down we we closed our office down we can no longer fly so we can't develop the wings um but we're working from home we're doing the the emails um and we're catching up with with administrative work that we've kind of let go to the side for for the last few while. So we've been keeping busy, yeah. yeah, Yeah. We're we're mostly working but um, I think the whole industry is going to be hit super hard by this. I mean, and I'm I'm not talking about just the manufacturers. The manufacturers uh, will struggle with this because I think glider sales have pretty much dried up um, for for most of Europe and and the States and so on, the the major markets. So I think a lot of manufacturers will struggle with this uh, but I really feel also for the schools, the instructors, the the guides, all of those guys that uh, that basically just have to stop work. Um, I'm fortunate because um, you know I'm I'm am I'm, I'm, I'm a salaried employee of a of a company that hopefully will be able to pull through this. But uh, I do feel for for the rest of the industry, the the instructors and uh, and those guys who will be struggling right now. I remember when we had foot and mouth years ago uh, in the UK and. Um, there was, you know, big grants to go to the to the um, farmers and all of that. A lot of help for the farmers, but nothing for everyone else who used the, the countryside, like the, the instructors at the time. So, but I think this is going to affect much harder everyone in the industry. So it's a big shame. So I won't complain. I won't complain. I am frustrated from not being able to fly. I think this is the longest period that I haven't flown in, in since I started in 1994. So... Um, I'm, I'm getting a bit itchy now, and also we've had the most amazing conditions for about the last week now. And just watching these little queues pop off the mountain opposite my house is is frustrating. But
1: yeah, I'll we're get, all in
0: it together. We've all just got to get through it. I think you know we all have to be responsible and not put uh, unnecessary risks towards the, the services, you know, the safety
1: services. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest message, I think, is because so many people I see on, like, you know, Facebook, social media, saying, like, oh, I want to go fly, why can't I go? And I'm like, you, just one twisted ankle, one twisted ankle, and needing the services to come out. You've got to look a doctor or a nurse in the eye where you're led on a gurney with a broken ankle and be able to look at them in the eye and think, yeah, it was worth it it's just not no. yeah. and yeah. Every, everyone's yeah. in the same boat like you said mate every, everyone's in the same boat so we have just got to swallow it and we're quite lucky in that we do we have a sport or we enjoy a sport that's, um, that gives us nothing but freedom and for most of the year we get to take off from a hill and do what the hell we want and then now we just being talked <clears> to <throat> in a little bit you know
0: yeah exactly exactly so it's it's you know for all of us personally it's not a big sacrifice ultimately at the end of the day is it
1: yeah yeah no exactly like you mate really i sympathize with with the people who earn in money out of it but yeah it's not not a big deal um yeah. yeah so i mean obviously the weather's turned brilliant here as well so that's we've got our next our six weeks of good weather in the uk will come now while we're in lockdown but
0: yeah hey Hey, six, six weeks six weeks is optimistic isn't it <laughs> well
1: six honestly, days, six, yeah, days. Exactly, six days how long have you been in like the UK now for Russ?
0: I've lived in France now for 15 years uh, and um, I missed I missed the UK missed flying back in the UK there's there's a certain pleasure about cross-country flying in the UK which you just don't get elsewhere or, or I don't get elsewhere anyway. I don't I don't even bother flying cross country anymore here in the mountains. It's mm. um it's 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 not pointless, but I've just got other important more important things that I prefer to be doing than flying cross country here now. So but whenever I go back to the UK, it's always nice to get in a bit of cross country because there is nothing more pleasurable than than good UK XC flight
1: yeah and it's the infrastructure so good for getting home as well Like sometimes we moan that we've got a four-hour journey home from weymouth but at the same time we land at the seaside we know exactly how we're getting home we're not in mountains we're not in valleys and it's quite convenient really that we can just jump on transport and we're home
0: yeah and it's beautiful i love that i love the uh, and and i think it's because it's not so good because it's rarer because you don't get because you have to be there on the right day and get the good days it's more, it's more pleasurable, isn't it? It's more rewarding when, yeah. when you can just go up every day and go to the same spot on the same mountain and, and take the same thermal that you've done many times before. It's, it's less interesting
1: yeah yeah definitely and i mean when we when you get to fly over the the uk countryside and you get to see early spring then into summer then harvest and you see the whole landscape change land you were flying over five weeks before is now completely different it's all been mowed and belled and yeah it's superb i do like i do like comparatively uk uk flying you know
0: yeah yeah
1: so um mate so at the moment currently world number one um so that's like a coming towards the end of the story almost so let's have a look at back at where you started how did it start for you mate i did where? how did paraglide because you said 1994 obviously paragliding's very different back then than it is now so how did it start what was the drive etc uh
0: for, well paragliding was pretty much the same back in 94 as it is now it's just that the gliders weren't as good but the same sort of infrastructure was there kind of almost i started just at the right time just as they had pretty much learnt from the mistakes of the previous generation from the late 80s, early 90s, and I got started just as the wings started to get a reasonable level of safety. The designers knew roughly what they were doing, I think, when I started. So I think I started around about the right time for this sport. Um, and I started in a boom period as well. When when certainly the school I started in down in Sussex, uh, Fly Sussex was 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 really busy. I mean, we had load. There was loads of students, and and uh, so it was a boom period for the sport. And um, so I'm, I'm quite fortunate when I got into it. But I guess my love of flying started through my dad, who was into parachuting. Um, uh, he was in the in the Paris and uh, was into sport parachuting as well. So he was doing a lot of the early halo stuff and, and sport skydiving. So um, I, I initially really wanted to get into to, to skydiving and I did a handful of jumps when I was 16 or 17, I can't remember how old I was, and, um, and then had full intentions of taking up parachuting. But then my brother started paragliding and, um, and my dad also had a bad parachuting accident so, um, for the sake of my mother's sanity, me and my brother did paragliding instead, because it was much safer, obviously. Well, yeah. that's what we told her, anyway. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, as soon as I left university, I I, I I worked enough to pay off my student debts to be able to buy a new wing and um, and complete my course. Well, it was not a new wing; it was a second-hand old um, falhawk apex. Uh, no falhawk. Atos it was, I think it was called Atoll. Foulhawk Atoll. Yeah. So it was uh it was a bit of a dodgy start of flying, but uh I picked it up soon enough.
1: (laughs) And what was the uh back then, uh was it just literally just paragliding for paragliding? Did you have your your sights set on something like racing or cross country or it was just paragliding for the sake of being in the air what was like
0: the no, like, it's just it, the, it's just for being in the air in the air as well and uh, i just love being in the air i just loved flying i couldn't i couldn't get over the the pleasure i was getting from flying just being in the air looking at your feet down at the countryside below you and uh, the feeling of being lifted as well which was which was amazing because i spent a lot of time just doing top to bottoms, and um, so that that feeling of being lifted and sustained in the air for me was incredibly addictive, and uh, and it just got me at a crossroads in life where I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go in, or, or certainly what I wanted to do when I was younger was was not something that I wanted to do at the, at the time, and um, so I soon got a job with with Tim Cox at Fly Sussex and uh, worked as a TI for him um, and. Uh, spent 10 very happy years there teaching paragliding
1: amazing that's uh so you you were literally you fell you found it you fell in love with it and you stuck with it that was that's all you're yeah. through from there straight through into ozone
0: yeah yeah it started um uh with ozone in 19 uh in 2004 and um in those 10 years working at Sussex I, uh, I was fortunate to be able to fly and learn with a really good group of pilots um, and uh, my flying progressed I started doing competitions and so on and, uh, and then um, got to know Rob Whittle at Ozone and um, eventually they offered me a job as a test pilot and, um, and, I, and I've been doing that for the last 15 years or so now yeah, 16 years, maybe. Yeah. Coming up. Yeah. And I, and I really enjoy it. It's something that um, you're learning all the time. You're learning new techniques. You're learning about glider development. You're learning about um, the changes that we make in the design and how that relates to the, to the way the wing flies. And, and just um, it's just a very interesting process that, that I'm, I'm really into.
1: I mean, you don't want you don't want to portray it as you get to go out and fly paragliders and it doesn't have fun all the time at all, do you? I mean, that's not that's not how it should be portrayed. It's just flying paragliders and having fun.
0: We <laughs> do have fun. Uh, we do have a lot of flying, and you know what it's like with flying. Wes? You, you, it's you know, there's days that you love it. There's days that you're not so keen on it. There's days where it's uh, dangerous. There's days when um, it's like a love affair with a woman, isn't it? It's it's, it's, it's it's like a marriage, you know. That you've got to go through the rough and the smooth, and there's a lot of rough with flying. Um, yeah. But I still, yeah, I'm very passionate about it, and um, I think to do the job that I do, you have to love flying. I mean, you have to really love it because if you don't really love it, you'll get sick of it quite quickly. Because we do do a lot of flying. um
1: yeah. I mean, I guess it's full immersion for you. It's Full immersion on days when i don 't know you just can 't be bothered, but that 's still your job you have to like that that 's what you have to go and do and i mean there's times when i 've been at comps and i 've woke up and I thought oh, I could just do with a weather hold today or I could just do it not you know and then you go and you have to fly so to have to do that when it 's not a competition because as soon as the comp starts i 'm like everyone else you just want to win the comp so but when you 're just doing it for a day to day job, yeah, I can imagine it would get um T- tedious might be the wrong word, but I should imagine it would got a little bit like, go on and fly again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, now, especially now when, um, well, like for me, when I've been flying for so long, but, um, I, if I have an hour in the air, half an hour of flight, I'm done for the day almost, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's scratched my itch. But when you then have to do several flights and you have to fly the extra larges or the extra smalls and, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so it's I, I don't complain. It's a it's a good job. I don't complain. But there, it's not just having fun. We we do. There's a very good work ethic in ozone, and um, we're we're constantly working. We're constantly developing, trying new things, trying to assess, really clinically assess um, the changes that we've made, um, so that we can learn for future projects. Everything's interchangeable between the different wings. Um, so we 're always experimenting um, we always have a hypothesis we, we test the hypothesis and we and we see if it 's uh, a useful direction or not it 's a very holistic way of kind of design um, often we try one thing and in the end it 's the exact opposite of what we initially thought that was what we were looking for um, and often we, we we just don't understand it um, there 's a lot of areas in paragliding design which is still not fully understand understood by by designers i think because it's such a complex a simple yet complex uh structure you know rigid wings are easy because you can model them but a soft floppy piece of cloth that creases and moves in in a in a in an infinite diff- number of different ways is quite hard to to model and understand
1: Yeah, I guess from the outside looking in, it would probably be difficult to replicate the same sort of things over and over again as well. In test situations, you can replicate collapses, but if you're looking for a certain behavior or a certain pattern, I guess that is very difficult to replicate time after time after time. And you may have to do something three, four, five times to get the same reaction you were looking for in the beginning. Because it is just a piece of fabric and air.
0: Yeah, well, with testing, like collapse testing, behavior testing is, 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 is another side of it, um, but that, uh, when we're testing here in, in the south of France, we're always in moving air, so yeah. the most important thing is to be able to differentiate between glider behavior and air behavior and the mm. movement of air and the way that that affects um, the movement of the wing. Um, but that's an ongoing problem that takes time and experience to kind of learn and there's certain days where for example when when it's really the steaming strong conditions in the in the summer in the at midday there's no point in doing full speed side collapses on a competition wing because you're not going to see the behavior of the wing you're just going to see the behavior of the wing in that turbulated air so when we're looking for certification type testing uh, then we need calmer air really yeah yeah
1: so, um you so do you, are you in charge of all the elements it ozone wing wise from a wings all the way up to comp wings from your deltas to do you take care of everything or is everything sort of uh, signed off, and you like you particularly like say, the two liners because it's what you you spend your time flying on or do you literally just have an overview of everything and everyone has an input is it like a is there like a group that come together and you assess every wing or
0: Oh No, it's very much a team effort. Um, we can't, there's five of us in the R&D department at Ozone. There's um, David and uh, Luke and Fred, Honorat and myself. Um, David kind of mostly does his design on the paramotive range. Um, he also designs the beginner wings and the ENB wings and, and um, ENA type wings, like the rushes, the buzzes. Uh, and so on. And then Luke and Fred kind of do more design in the in the ENC and the END and um, categories. And then much of the testing and the flying and the development flying is done by Honor and, and myself. So we all work together. Honor um, and myself, we fly all the wings from paramotor wings to uh, beginner wings, to the ground handling wing up to the Enzo competition wing.
1: Okay, yeah, I was a uh, I that that often I did often wonder whether you have your little side bits and you're like, oh, I really just want to work on this. I just want to work on this. or However, it's just you know you have to all everyone has to put in the bucket. Everyone has to contribute. You know, it's uh, for me from the outside looking in. I I sort of see it as um, I've watched a, a documentary recently about an F1 team on Netflix. It's called Survive to Drive, and it's about their whole, um, how they build a car from scratch, take everything, and then next year they come back and they've got the car that they used the year before. But although it, for all intents and purposes, will look exactly like the same car, it's almost stripped back and they just use principles to redevelop that car. And that's sort of how I imagine the building of, say, the Enzo 4 is from the Enzo 3 or the Delta 4 from just you've got your your plan this worked here let's not just copy it we need to build on it and develop that plan
0: i um sometimes that's that happens sometimes that happens with a with a glider or a, a glider within a range but mostly i like to imagine it as one continual line where the you know the buzz one for example um we made I don't know how many prototypes we made at that stage but let's say we made 10 prototypes and the 10th one was the one that kind of met the requirements that we were looking for at the time that's the one that goes to certification that's the one that goes into production once we start working on the buzz 2 the replacement we start from the from the proto number 10 and we make number 11 and we keep going from there we learn from the, we learn from the lessons that we learned in the previous development and continue that on for the replacement. Um, starting from scratch again is quite hard and quite difficult and eventually you end up, you run out of ideas from doing that and you end up going back to previous designs. So I prefer to think of the development and I think the majority of our development of our wings at Ozone is is more on a continuum. Um, and that way we can, you know, we release a wing, we, we, we get the feedback from everyone, we. We we know where it sits. We know how it works. We see where it is in terms of performance and feel, and um, we use all that feedback uh, as a basis to start our, the new product. But we'll always start from the original. And when we when we we're flying, we're always using the original as our reference. You know, if we want to know if we're improving the precision in the turn or something like that we only know if we've improved the precision return turn by flying it on the same day as the original model. This, Because, like I said earlier, the air has such an influence on the way the wing feels and behaves, that uh, a wing that feels great one day doesn't feel so good on another day and, and so on. So it takes a lot of flying, it takes a lot of um, testing and confirmation to, to really make sure that we, we're feeling the same things. And what we find when we have... Um, w- with a, with a testing like we have is that we can go out on a day and uh, all have completely different feelings or sensations and, and, and feelings under the wing um, and we'll, we'll make changes and eventually once we get to the point where we all feel the same, we all think the same, we all have the same opinion about the wing we know we're getting into something that, that is good or bad or, or something yeah. but the process doesn't happen overnight, it can take a long time to develop a wing um we're fortunate because we have a relatively large team um so we can dedicate a group that are just kind of designing and a group uh that are just flying um because it's very important for us to put as much time on on the wings as possible before they're they're released to the public
1: yeah so is that that is that something like the xeno comes about because uh I don't know if you guys call it a Xeno or a Zeno, but because it sort of came, almost came out of nowhere, but sort of changed everything a little bit. It was just so, you know, it just created that that group of wing. that was just for me the the Zeno's the best cross country paraglider on earth for me of all the ones that I've flown, and that's including my Enzo three. I think if I was just flying for the sake of doing cross countries, why be on my Enzo three if I'm flying in a comp? I'm going to be on my Enzo three. So, for me, I think the Zeno the is probably the best cross country glider I've ever flown. And it fits that perfectly. And it looked to me, you may or may not want to say this, it looked to me like everyone sort of tried to rush to find an answer or their version of the Zeno once it had been released and it did so well. So, is that, you think that's why the Zeno comes about because of how you guys have, have approached it?
0: Well, well I think I, I,
1: I. Or was I, it run in a long time?
0: No, I mean I, I tend to agree with you in terms of of as a cross country wing in terms of ease of use in terms of the performance and the ease of use that the glider gave, along with the two liner element was was really special in that wing. Um, I think uh, there were other wings before that. That was our first effort at making a two liner that wasn't. Um, well, we'd done it a few years ago actually. We tried made lower aspect two liner wing, but it didn't didn't get it working particularly well um, but uh, I think the, the Niviuk Ice Peak was also a pretty good wing at the time that was quite easy to use but easier than the Enzo at the time um, but, when we re- but when we were working on the Zeno project we knew we had something good um, certainly uh, near the end. It took quite a few prototypes to get there that we weren't happy with. It was quite easy to make uh, a, a, an uncomfortable two liner. But it wasn't particularly easy to make a comfortable two liner that was also a pleasure to fly. There's always a balance and a trade off you know for, uh, and it's always impossible to keep everybody happy because for one person for one person who finds a wing dull another person finds it comfortable and another person who finds a wing feeling and and good another pilot will find it uncomfortable so we're always trying to strike a balance um but I think. On balance, I think the Xeno the was a really good wing uh, at the time in terms of performance, ease of use, and, uh, and, and fun of flying. Um, the difficulty, though, is replacing that yeah. and making it better. But that's something that we were just getting our teeth into before the lockdown came. Um, we've got some really interesting prototypes. Um, we had the last one I was flying, it was just exquisite handling um and uh so i'm I'm itching uh, i'm just itching to get back in there well we're all itching to get back to actually fly this prototype more (laughs) and i think luke has also spent the time making another prototype so that should be sitting on the doorstep when we get back um so yeah i'm looking forward to getting back into that project um i think we've got um good things coming good things coming I'm I'm quite convinced of it
1: yeah I mean that you've sort of um, with that and the Enzo 3 you've sort of you've sort of made your job a lot harder with both of those wings I guess because they were both they've both been so good you what you come out with to replace them is obviously the pressures on you that you know you've got to well actually we really have to make sure that this is the, the the next best thing and anything we do change are elements that are an improvement
0: well, yeah, I mean, it's it's always the way. It, it, it's the same for every manufacturer, you know. It's, it, it, for every designer and design team, it, it gets harder and harder to improve on something because, you know, if you look at, you know, take take Gin, for example, who's been designing wings for the last 30 years, uh, it, it does get harder and harder. You, you run out of ideas, you don't know which way to push, and... Um, uh, so the job is always going to get more difficult. We're, we're going to get into kind of the apex of, of design. We're near limitations in terms of you know line diameters and line strength. We're near limitations in terms of aspect ratio and structure um, and profiles and so on. So I think that the gains in the future will be um, smaller. What we're really trying to do is improve uh, the feeling improve the the, the the sensation that the wing can give you, uh, and work on ways of 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 also keeping the safety, um, improving the safety as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh for for me, uh, I, I went uh, I went ice peak six to do I go ice peak six and Enzo I think I went I think I went to Enzo straight after my no ice peak six Xeno Enzo I went and um the Enzo. The Enzo is the nicest wing I've ever flown. I love the Enzo.
0: You're you talking the Enzo three, 3 yeah? The
1: Enzo three, sorry, Enzo three, yeah, um, yeah. Enzo three, so I I love my Enzo three. I love everything about it. I love that you if you don't check the tips on the outside, they'll curl in, and I, I just love everything about the Enzo three. I love the way it races, and I just. I would happily pick up my Enzo 3 over all of my other wings that I've got, even if I'm just going to boat around. I I absolutely love it. So from for me, I, that was the first my first comp wing as well. Last year was my first proper having a go at comps a little bit. So, uh, yeah. yeah, to get on it and in my first comp to push as hard as I pushed and I was really happy with the result that I got. So I, that for me, I was like, this, this wings, you know, it's the – you can be as good a pilot as you want, or but if you're not comfortable on your wing, I've seen, as you have as well, many times, I should imagine, good pilots not have a good comp because they're not comfortable on the wing they're flying or they've yeah. the thing and it doesn't suit them. But for me, I got on it. I sat on the Enzo. I went to Pedro. And it was a bit of a, a baptism of fire, really, in that I'd had about two hours on it in the UK xc and then i went to pedro launched the first day and we were in eight meter a second thunderous clock. yeah it
0: was it was turbulent wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> the first day i flew which was just at the end of the training camp was really turbulent i found yeah was, but i think you picked i think you, i think you picked a good wing to, to to come into the comps on the enzo 3 is was a really good improvement over the enzo 2 and um, we solved a lot of niggling little issues that we had with the Enzo 2. Uh, structurally, the 3 was really good, so, that, so it stays cohesive in the thermals. Often with the Enzo 2, for example, when you got into a turbulent bit of lift, you, you, the, the glider would break down a little bit, and you'd have to wait for it to kind of settle before you can make it turn, um, whereas the, the, the 3 remains much more compact, even in turbulent air. So, you've, so the handling is always there for you whenever you need it, but um, and also it had less problems with cravats and the like,
1: yeah.
0: uh, and, it's, and it was more stable. Uh, I think in uh, I had more. Um, I had. I, I think I've only taken about two or three collapses in anger. Proper. I mean, I'm not talking about wingtips. I'm talking about an unloading type collapse. I think I only had two or three on the on the on the Enzo three in, in in a couple of seasons of flying it. So really happy with the Enzo three, but like I said, it makes it harder to to improve on that. But again, that's another mission that we will have this. We, well, we're meant to be working on it right now. Luke's made a few prototypes. Uh, we made a, we we have done some work. We made a prototype last year. We made a high aspect one, a really aspecty one, which was. Um, really sweet to fly. It opened my eyes actually because it's the first time I've flown a, a more aspecty wing than the Enzo that was actually nice to fly. So um, we, can, we, we can make Aspect with better handling than we have already on the Enzo 3, I know that. Um, personally, I don't want to go too aspecty. I think the part of the success um, of the Enzo 3 is the fact that it's easy to fly. Um, or relatively easy to fly for a competition wing. Um, And it gives you that feeling of comfort and safety, um, which is really important because if you're, especially when you're pushing hard in competitions and you're racing and it's turbulent and you're near the rocks or whatever, you need something that you have absolute confidence in. If you've got a wing that is not really, it can be good in very light conditions, but in stronger, more turbulent conditions, if it's giving you a bit harder or too much feedback, you're less confident, and you're you're not going to get the most out of it. So, I think keeping that ease of use, that friendliness to the to the Enzo is is a really important ingredient that we don't want to lose. We don't want to lose. Yeah,
1: that it's also
0: very challenging to test to develop because you know we it's the it's on the it's on the far end of the spectrum of of doing the full speed collapses and uh, all the the testing and so on. So it's a bit bit. Full-on glider to to do the development flying. Yeah, but should uh, uh, Ono is up to speed now, so we'll, I'll have a bit more help this time.
1: <laughs> Big things for the Enzo 4, then, mate. That's what we're looking forward to. Um, luckily, yeah. luckily, it's not ready, but we've got no comp season this year, so the trade-off's not too bad. Um,
0: no, I, I think that's. I, I, well, I don't know if I'm being pessimistic, but I don't think there's going to be a, a paragliding competition this summer anywhere in europe for sure i
1: mean like, i'm of the same opinion of you from uh, obviously a lot more ignorant viewpoint than yourself but um i just think from looking out how is it going to be like like how are nations going to suddenly open up and start welcoming welcoming people to fly paragliders all of a sudden i think we have a bit a lot bigger things to worry about
0: yeah i think you're right i think it's more like a year in fact you know for especially for international competitions because if you get on top of it in france and the uk and if everyone gets on top of it, but what about in, in Africa or in, you know, other places, I can't see how international travel will, will be going. So, so, but that's good. It helps us, uh, well, it's not good in any way whatsoever other than it helps it gives us a bit more time to work on a competition, which are minor, minor things at the moment. (laughs) Well, for
1: some people it's everything. (laughs) For some people right now that is everything. Um, so, when did you um so that's your what you do for work mate and you know uh, i obviously people are, are get a, a full idea of what you're doing at ozone but now i want to know a bit more about you and where you came from your paragliding racing, racing your world number one we need to know how you got there really you know so how did it start what can you remember your first comp um yeah and where did it go from there
0: my first comp was um It was probably one of the British nationals in uh, in the late 90s, 98 or something. I didn't compete for the first five or six years of flying. And back then, it was actually quite hard to get into the national championships. It was called the Nationals, and you had to get in through the cross-country league. But I didn't do cross-country because I was an instructor paragliding instructor so I couldn't go cross country so I couldn't get into the nationals for a few years until I wanted to my first comp in fact was a British Open and I think it was in Piedra Hita and um I thoroughly enjoyed it and I, and I, I always knew before I'd done a competition that I really wanted to compete I don't think I'm a particularly competitive person but I just I just saw the beauty in in racing paragliders and um that 's why I call it the beautiful game, because it, it to me, since the very first task I ever did, I was just like, "This is amazing mm-hmm. and um, and I still get that feeling now i still you know I fly every day, I do a lot of flying i 've done a lot of flying, but I still absolutely adore uh, racing in competitions and racing you know with your friends and um, all trying to achieve the same thing and dodging and weaving and, 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 and trying to get across the line first. I, I love that whole that whole thing. So, yeah, I started back in 96, 97, maybe, I think, if I remember. And um, and then the following year, I got... And because I, I think I got a reasonable result in that competition, I was, I was 20th or something, and uh, that allowed me to get a spot in the Nationals for the following year. And um, And I haven't looked back since. I've just been... Competing as much as I could and doing the comps, I, I um, as many comps as I could. Um, I had a bit of success early on. I, I think in my second year, I won a British Open and finished second in the nationals, and that in, gave me self confidence to kind of push further and go on to, to, to more things, really. Yeah, and um. Well, I was in the British team in two thousand and one for the Worlds, and uh, and I flew in the Blair. We used to have a Blairio Cup back in the day as well, which was like I've the B heard... team, the British B team. Yeah, I've heard. And it they were it was was great fun. Time.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, they were great fun. It was just a small team that we'd go and we'd we'd fly against the French, and uh, either in France or in the UK, and um, so that was all really inspiring and good fun, and got me into it, and then to get. To, to to where I am now, I, I, I mean, the last, when I first joined Ozone back in 2004, I did a couple of seasons where I did um, a lot of comps. I did five or six comps in the season and uh, doing the World Cups, the PWCs and the, the Worlds and the Europeans or whatever was going on at the time. Um, and then for the last 10 years, I've been doing very very few competitions. I've been doing two, three, maybe four competitions a year maximum. And uh, the last couple of years, in fact, last year, um, last year I was losing my mojo a little bit. I was, I was a bit demotivated and I didn't, I was a bit kind of, uh, I don't know, just demotivated for competition flying. And, uh, but, but, Kath, my wife said, you know, just go out there and do some comps. So I kind of had the, the backing of the wife, and uh, I actually did four competitions last year, and um, I did okay. I didn't do fantastic. I didn't do, I wasn't spectacular. I haven't, I mean, I haven't won a competition in nine years or something, so, um, but I just managed to go to the, I, I, the last few years, I've only done the, the high quality comps. I've done the, the best quality World Cups, I've done the, the, the Superfinals and uh, uh, the occasional World Championships. Um, and, and I do the British Opens as well because I love the British Opens. You know, it's a good social. It's good to meet up with with you and everyone else, and and and, and I love that. Um, but for the most part, I've only concentrated on doing the good level comps, and um, and I've done all right. I finished third. I finished fourth. I finished third and fourth and fourth and fifth and sixth and just like that. And and that has got me to. To number one not not by anything spectacular but just not not by not messing up the big I comps mean,
1: you, say, you say that and it's a little bit self-deprecating really because what people might not understand um who are listening people who, who paraglider pilots who don't who aren't on the comp scene uh paragliding comps specifically reward consistency and the reason they reward consistency is cuz the hardest thing to be in a paragliding competition is consistent so if you're being yeah. consistent for, for for or fifth or third if you're consistently within that within that pot pool that does reward you to be the number one in the world because that's the most difficult part of the oh. of sport is consistency hello, to be consistent. hello have you Lost
0: got me you. uh but you back again got gotcha. you
1: yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, i was saying, Yeah, it's you know that it should reward consistency because consistency is the hardest thing to, to to be. And um, the fact that you can be that consistent for fifth, and you say nothing spectacular that within itself is the spectacular thing. And I, I, of course, it'd be amazing to win a to to be on the podium number one and stuff. Everyone like in in a race in any race, that's always a nice thing, right? But yeah. um, that consistency. From someone who's flown a, flown a few comps you know if I for me if I'm consistently coming in the top twenty it the Brits at Peter Heater, I'm over the moon because I think right okay now I know if I can be consistent there my next stage is be consistent here so for you yeah. to be consistent at that top level is for the people who are listening who aren't really up on comp flying you know that that is top top three crossing the line in a Grand Prix every single weekend, eh? every single weekend top three crossing the line, allowing for things going wrong, things out of your control, you making mistakes and still getting because I've seen you I've seen you make mistakes in comp and be a little bit behind or and next minute boom there's Russ. Come in orbit faster than everyone. <laughs> Where's Russ come from, you know? And then <laughs> I, I, and Guy as well. Guy is another person who when I fly
0: yeah.
1: I can watch him and I can like, the man thermals like no other person I've seen. You Like, I like how you thermal. I, I thermal, but I like to get in and crank it and get in there. Guy seems to be flowing around <laughs> as if he's on a merry but nice and gently, always out climbing everyone and just... Well, he, can't,
0: I he, can't, afford, he can't afford to spill his cup of tea on his lap, <laughs> can he?
1: <laughs> if he had a cup of tea whilst flying, I wouldn't be shocked. But you guys, that oh consistency—that's the—that's the amazing thing. The consistency of you two and yourself, obviously being being number one, is yeah. To to be fourth and fifth and fourth and fourth and fourth, incredible.
0: And it in- was was most what I was most pleased with with the comps I did last year was that on the last day of the, the comps, I was in a shout to win it, mm-hmm. and. um that's what I was most pleased with, because that's what ultimately you're aiming for. You know, it's uh, before we've always talked about the mantra of about, you know, it's always about the end game and being in the last thermal in the right position to, to win the race. But to win the competition, you have to be in position on the very last day so that you do have a chance of, of winning the comp. And in, in, in the comps I did last season, I was always roughly in that situation, which is which is. What I was most pleased with with the with the whole thing yeah. but but what i do i do like the uh i i do like flying with the pilots that are really just on it to win and um you know I work with ono who's who's whose win rate is super high he occasionally messes up a competition and finishes in hundredth place but um his his win rate compared to how many competitions he enters is is very high so that's something I need to work on in my flying is to try and get back that. Um, I, and I don't know what it is, cause I am, I do try to win at each race that I fly in. Um, but I do, I, I think, I guess at certain critical moments, I'm a little bit tentative. Um, and I think that, but that, I think that's probably born from, from mistakes I've made in the past where I've been too aggressive. Um, uh, it's always finding a balance you know it's like I always say it's like tuning its guitar and getting that strum and getting everything correct and and if if one part of your flying goes out you then make an adjustment and sometimes you adjust too far and it's and you're constantly making these little adjustments in the in the in the, in the way you fly and the tactics and the decisions that you make um but I guess yes yeah I'm pleased with what happened last year and um but that's not to say I can't improve and I, I need to find uh, really analyze where I went wrong. And, um, which I have done. And I, and I, and I try to, to tweak it a little bit next time we fly, but I tried that in the British championships and I bombed out. So <laughs> it's, uh, Often I make a tweak and it's like, no, yeah, you know that. So I've, <laughs> I've been flying long enough now to make, I've made all the mistakes I think and, yeah. uh, make them over and over again. And, um, I think nothing can. It's hard to beat experience in this game, and I, and I feel fortunate that I have, have enough experience now to to be able to go out and, and comfortably just roll up to a competition and 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 expecting myself to do well.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's one of the greatest things for for paragliding for me is that you. Any anyone on their day one mistake you've cost yourself the whole you've cost yourself the whole day just one silly mistake one being a little bit too eager one not following anything any little scenario as we're look, fighting's a bit similar you make a mistake you you it can cost you but say you're a snooker player realistically if you're on your game and you get your head down and you get playing you play and okay you can make a little mistake but you're on with paragliding the consequences of making that mistake are instantaneous and generally they're hard to come back from so that i think <laughs> that that's the the great bit is it someone like yourself this far in world number one still you like you still you're, yeah there's little bits, and obviously there's bits that can be proved on and that's the great bit is that you go out next year and you're like right i got i really gotta work on this and if you start working on it you might you might push too hard or you might not push enough again and
0: yeah. No, that's it. Yeah, it's always it's always the balance, and uh, I think it's the same at any level, any any sports or a, at any level that you know any athlete, every sportsman has to to self analyze, and I'm sure you do it with your fighting, and you'll you'll go over the fights, the ones you did well, and you'll look at how you did well, why you did well, and the same for the ones where you where you lost and you did badly. So I think uh, and I think that's the same in any sport. You have to you have to be able to be very self and that uh, critical in this game because we yeah. don't have coaches. You know, we, 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 have to kind of rely on ourselves to, to, to coach our own ourselves basically. Well,
1: I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But what we've been lucky with lately is, um, the whole BPRA thing, people like myself yeah. and the people who are coming through having yourself and Marlin and Guy and Barney, having you guys there, what you've sort of, um, I mean, again, once we're under our paraglider, it's up to us. If we want to make mistakes, we do it. But the, the bits that you've, you've given us and those little tips that you've corrected us and shown like, at questions, why did you take this? Those little, those little elements that you've given the BPRA, for, for me, it's like a fast track. It's like, right, it's like a condensed course. And I think that's, that seems to be showing with um, British results and stuff. I would say right, and people like Harry, who's doing so well, you know that. I think the the B.P.R.A. is really coming into his own, and the people who are really driven, and like Martin had a great season, and I think that's yeah, really direct, Yeah, I think that's direct a direct result from the B.P.R.A. and people like yourself and Marlin and the coaching and Guy.
0: I think the uh, the I think British Paragliding is in the healthiest situation it has been in in a generation. Um, and I think we've got some really talented pilots to come through. I think it's still developing. Um, unfortunately, most of us can't get out and fly as much as we'd like to. And I think that, that hinders, us, hinders us slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really important. And I think it's something that um, was first started by Jockey and the guys back in the day. Yeah. Uh, when I started competing, I we did a boot camp um, and with Jocky Sanderson and Judy Leaden, who was the multiple worlds hang gliding champion at the time, and it was fantastic. We didn't really learn, or I didn't learn anything. I didn't learn anything, but it put everything in place, and it made me aware of what I should be doing, how I should be thinking, and uh, and it gave me a great um, kick up the arse to go on on and, and carry on, and I think. That's what, you know, Guy and and Barney and and Malin and and all of us and and, and Guy and myself, you know, we've been flying a long time since the uh, mid-90s and uh, we want to leave a legacy. We want to be able to just pass on this information and give it to to a group of young motivated pilots or not necessarily young but motivated pilots um, to leave a legacy and, and move it on and hopefully you guys or the the, the people in the bpra will carry it on and do exactly the same for the next generation of pilots that come through and hopefully we can get this snowball effect and just keep a very high positive um energy in in british competitive paragliding yeah i I think what's uh, you know do you know what uh, results and everything else aside you know because we've had theo's european champion and we've had you know, we've had good results from 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 the young guys, but more importantly, it's brought a group of people together that have turned into a group of friends, and um, and, and that for me is 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 the best achievement out of it all. Really, so yeah. I'm very I mean, happy.
1: If you're, uh, you're you're not um, obviously in the UK, but on any given decent day in the UK, generally there's a group of some of us from, you know, like Laurie and those guys up north will be talking and Guy will be talking to me and I'll be talking to Harry and next minute we're all like, boom, we all converge on one little area to try and do something special, like we're going to try and fly a record or we're just going to do this or we're going to just fly this route or we'll set ourselves a task and that's the, the great thing about it is that now yeah. there, is a real, there is a real camaraderie and there is a real um yeah, a sense of 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 like team or mates or teammates in amongst us we're not we're not flying as a team yet but we you know we're we're teammates and it is really good it is really good atmosphere to to be involved in
0: yeah yeah and i think you know that that healthy friendly competitiveness is the best way to to encourage improvement as well so yeah so hopefully there's more good things to come
1: it would be nice to have a uh it would be nice to have a female in the team, like because Kirsty's obviously been holding that up for herself for so long.
0: It'd be nice if well, Kirsty and Emma and, and, and Jess it, have I guess, been, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's just like, like, it's weird, isn't it? it does, like, these sort of sports just don't attract more females, it's, it's strange.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not that surprising I don't think it's not that uh,
1: surprising yeah who wants to go and hang out on a hill with a load of, a load of yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess so. <laughs> I guess when you say it like that it's probably not that surprising <laughs> uh, but um so I completely lost my train of thought there mate yeah I completely lost my train of thought where we were Oh, well, we, we were, were talking about
0: bpra where are we going now
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. we were talking about the bpra um yeah so the next days i guess all this year's boot camps and stuff are going to obviously be put to we- put to pay as we know but hopefully yeah. hopefully that'll be the project for for next year and we can continue to build on that the next thing i think uh for yourself would be for me to sort of, would be safety like i mean um a, a, a two-liner especially, um, I don't want you to go over your, your safety talk makes, I guess you're probably sick and fed up of the one you did. Unlo- you know, that's not what it's about, but um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it would be silly to speak to someone with, with your sort of knowledge and not touch on safety, but um, safety within two-liner and stepping up to two-liner, because I see a lot of really good level pilots in the UK, they're coming to buy a new wing, and they're already like a D-level pilot or something, and they're looking to maybe trade their new M6, and they're going to get an M7. And I'm not oh, have you considered like a Xeno, let's say? And I'm like, oh, well, uh, I don't know about the 2 I'm like, but you've you've had like 300 hours on your M6. Like, what is it? like? Well, oh, those two-liners are... Li-. And I feel like people, you know, they do demand a little bit more respect and a little bit more behaviour when you're controlling them, but I think they're still a bit of a um, a fear surrounding them that maybe they don't necessarily deserve?
0: Well, I think that's definitely the case. And I think um, it's why I don't particularly like talking about two-liner safety because it's no different than safety for all of us, no matter whether it's got three lines, two lines, Four lines, whatever you know. If there's a piece of air that's going to take you out, it doesn't care how many lines you've got, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think safety is uh, across the whole spectrum, and I think it's about understanding how to to, to really fly a paraglider correctly when it's not flying, um, which is um, a very difficult and long process to learn. And the only way you learn is by experience. The only way you can get that experience is by exposing yourself to that danger so i think you know when we take paragliding as a serious sport and i think most people who 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 do paragliding do it seriously and if you don't do it seriously then just don't do it you know it's not it's it's not um a game that you can do pick up and do when when and as you please you know you either fly paragliders or you don't there's no there's no halfway in between and if you do make that decision to fly paragliders then you need to do it at the best of your ability and um as you know, it's it's very easy to fly a paraglider. My grandmother can fly a paraglider, but to be able to fly it correctly, uh, to be able to keep it open in turbulent air, to be able to react correctly in when stuff goes wrong when it stops flying, um, does take time, effort, um, danger, and dedication, um, and. Uh, That's why, you know, I've been a very strong proponent over the years of SIV training because it's the only really effective way that we can get that skill, Um, and uh, I think it should be part, and fortunately it's been good to see in the last few years um, that it's becoming more of a norm to do the training, uh, and not just to do it once, but to do it on a continuum, and um, that's the only way you can make paragliding safe, is by exposing yourself to danger by going paragliding in the first place and exposing yourself to more danger by learning to fly uh, a non-flying wing um, in a controlled environment it's much better to learn it in a controlled environment than 50 foot above the hill um, when you first take a collapse for example
1: yeah
0: um, but two-liner three-liner four-liner no if anything for an experienced pilot that like, you know one of the chaps you're talking about there that's got three or four hundred hours on a aspecty three-liner then i would argue that moving to a two-liner makes it safer because you've got way more control yeah. over your angle of attack whilst you're accelerating um, and if, if you're flying a high aspect three-liner and you're not accelerating a great deal then there's no point in flying a high aspect three-liner yeah. um, which means that if they are accelerating a lot they'll probably be safer and have more control on a two-liner than they would a three-liner um, we, we're just working on these new risers now with the three-liners where we, we're controlling the Bs and the Cs and that yeah. take makes it a lot closer to the two-liner feel. Um, but in terms of pure testing, um, from my experience, I would say aspect ratio has a bigger influence on safety, ease of use and um, behaviour of the wing than the, the quantity of lines that are supporting its cord. Um, so uh yeah no two liners for me when when we go back you know going back to the xeno uh, for an experienced pilot uh, flying a xeno is is a relatively simple straightforward uh thing to do it's less demanding than the the e and d wings of a decade ago um and it's far more solid and it's far more easy to control at speed i mean that's why i love two liners because You've got the wing in your hands all the time. You know you can be hold, pinning the bar at full speed, and you can bring the with your hands immediately, instantaneously. You can bring the wing back to trim speed, um, and everything in between. And so you know you couple that with the with the um, active use of speed bar, and you've got something that you can pretty much keep o- keep open at, in most speeds in most conditions.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's a discussion I have with uh friends of mine who are on three liners and you know the lads they've had a few hundred hours on free liners and they're just spending the money to get another free liner but you talk to them and they're saying, oh yeah, maybe I'll get a xeno like net but i don't I don't understand where your logic's going with this if you don't feel like you can control the Zeno you can't control and I know you can control the m seven so why are you and yeah, people seem to be so lost in the fact that it's got two lines, and I guess it's the the stuff that came before. Um, but some people get so lost in the fact that it's got two lines, and they're not thinking like, "I've I've got the capability to fly the M7 to its potential. I've got the capability to fly the N uh, the Zeno to its potential." I may have to maybe go and do another SIV, which I, I again, say that everyone should do every year. That's what I say to my friends and people who I fly with, is that I like to do SIV every year and everyone should. And I also say it's not even that it's making you safer. SIV is not making you safer. You're understanding what's happening when these things go wrong. So when they go wrong for the first time, you're better off having someone on a radio telling you what's going on than it being above the ground and the more you do that the more you understand what's going on and that makes you safer and but it's it's hard i mean i'm not i'm, I'm you know i'm not a coach and i'm not a, i'm not teaching people it's hard for me to say people should do this people should do that but when people do ask me that is what i say and uh yeah with the uh with the liner things i see people with their you know even sea wings and stuff with their handles on their free liners with their handles and they're like, oh but the handles I'm not like, I don't think you understand just just how much input the the uh, B lines on on a two liner, how much input they have, how much control you have having those handles compared to your your handles you have on your risers, you know. And they get on them and they pull them and they understand. And you can really pilot your wing on those handles. And people people don't see that the free liner guys aren't. Yeah, not.
0: yeah, I tend to agree with you, Wes. That. On the other hand though, the, the most important thing in flying is fun and pleasure, isn't it? And sure. and and also being confident under your wing. And um if 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 for you personally, you know, going to a two-liner just psychologically freaks you out, then there's no benefit in doing so. It probably won't improve your flying, it probably won't improve your performance and it certainly won't improve your your pleasure. But um it's always a difficult line to, to Different balance to strike isn't there but I think you know having a nice steady progression through aspect ratio through through certification um, classes is, is, is really important and um, and I think most people I think most most people do it these days I think most people respect it now uh, when I started there was there were people flying competition wings after 50 hours of use you know and um, 50 hours of flying and, and the experienced guys that had a hundred hours. You know, I remember. I remember one guy in our local club. He had hundred hours, and he was like the, the, the wealth of all knowledge. You know, <laughs> and now I would class I would class someone with less than 1, a thousand hours a beginner pilot still. But um, no, no, that's a bit harsh. About five hundred hours, I'd say.
1: <laughs> well, those thousand hours could be spent at Ringstead, mate. So they could just be coastal soaring. So. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said, Daniel. I'll just take that one back quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I think I only
0: say I only say that because I've been beaten by people in competitions with a lot less than (laughs) five hundred hours. Yeah,
1: for me, I I agree with you. It it depends on the um the psychology of the person. Um, but yeah, for me, so many people talk themselves out of something. That I think you're like you're not the logic's gone. You talked yourself out of it. Fly yeah. where you want to fly and be happy. I'm not you. Fly where you want to fly. I'm completely happy with that. But once you start asking me questions and you are talking yourself out, hey ho, you got yeah. I think p- people are still scared of stuff from ten years ago, maybe with two liners and yeah. I off- think, I think
0: when it's moved on, yeah. I think the original it, the the original uh, two liner came back in the open class days. And uh, it was, uh, we, we made um, the, uh, the original one was the R10. Before that, we had this thing called the baby HPP. Well, we had the HPP first. That had an aspect ratio of 11 and a half, I think it was, and a full carbon structure. And it was, uh, it was, it was the most terrifying, horrific wing I've ever flown. <laughs> uh, and then we had the baby HPP, which had an eight aspect ratio of eight, but full carbon structure and um that was a bit easier to, to to fly but it was still very involving you know you'd land after a flying for a couple of hours on a normal day and you'd have you'd have like that 1000 mile stare you know you've you've, you've survived yeah. like a vietnam kind of <laughs> suffered from ptsd and stuff um <laughs> And I did actually have concerns at the time, because if that was the future of competition racing, then it would have just alienated us more, even more, you know, and made it even more elite and specific sport. Yeah. Uh, But then after that, we developed the R10. um, And that glider was a bit of a handful, I think, uh, for many people. I think many people at the time as well, there wasn't. There wasn't at the time the, the the culture we have now of of training and SIV and understand how the wing f- flies properly. So a lot of people were were competing, but not really um, accepting the fact that you have to learn how to fly properly to fly these wings. And uh, it was pretty. Uh, there was a lot of incidents and accidents in the first year, and I think, and I think that was. Partly due to the glider, um, but mostly due to pilots and pilots' understanding and pilots' ability at the time, what we 've seen now is the gliders have got uh, the gliders have got let's say ten percent better now in terms of safety ease of use and so on um, but the pilots have got 70 percent better so uh, the accident rates are, are, are going down at the moment uh, the numbers of reserved de- Deployments are certainly going down in, in in the World Cup. I mean, I used to see people in World Cups take a 50% collapse and end up in a cascading event and ending up throwing the reserve. And, and 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 you know, there was plenty of opportunities to just let the glider fly or do the right thing at the right time, which were totally missed. And that I see a lot less of now. And I think we've got a younger generation coming through, they've grown up knowing what's what, how to do it, how to go about it, and um and uh I felt a little bit get, well, The first time we ever did that boot camp, we had, um you know, young guys there. And I I, I was sort of saying, what you need to do is get on a comp wing. And yeah. that, that was probably the first person that ever said that to them. Because, you know, traditionally in our flying careers, it's like, don't go on a competition wing. Stay on your EMB forever. And and then I rolled up and said, get on a comp wing. <laughs> and um, I felt a bit dodgy about that but i said it to the right people and i think um as soon as people did jump onto comp wings they also did the siv training they also did all yeah. the, the the background work that, that those type of wings require mm-hmm. and uh, and we now have the, the the guys uh doing very well
1: yeah and the, think, reason oh, you say were, that, you the reason i said
0: because well, i've seen the french guys do it i've seen all this this, yeah. this whole generation of young french come through that you know they're 20 years old, so they don't have. No matter how long they've been flying, they don't have a great deal of experience. But they're yeah. flying competition wings, and they're doing it better than most experienced 50-year-olds that have been flying for 25 years. You know, because they're willing to. They've got the the skills. They've got the timing. They've got. Um, they've got what it takes to to actually fly these wings. And I think um, when 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 you can when you've got that type of you have to know who you are as a person, don't you? You know, if you're if you've got the ability to do a triple twist pike whilst juggling, you've probably got the ability to fly a competition wing. Whereas if you you know you need a crash helmet just to walk down the local shops, then it's probably you know comp wings are not for you.
1: <laughs> no, stick on the Zino. Keep down the Zino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, as well, you, you give that advice, but you're, you're in that capacity. You're not there as an instructor at school. You're there to to help the progression of comp flying. And for you to pick the right people and say, you need to be on a comp glider. It's not like you're saying, here's my comp glider. You should go and fly that tomorrow. Like, you saying those things is the right advice at the right time in the right environment. That's, that's exactly what you're there for. So then it's up to... Obviously, those people to manage it, but like how do I go? How do I make that step? And I know you, I know you're more than welcome for somebody to come up to you and say, Rush, you said I need to get on a comp glider. How do I do it? What, what's the next step? And you'll literally, I know you'll say, Go and speak to God. But no, I'm joking. No, I know you're allowed. I know you'll I know you'll say to him, like, yeah, well, this is your next, this is the process, this is what we need to work on, and you'll be yeah. there for you. So it is that although it's about advice and people might say, oh, well, it seems a bit harsh to say get on the cop. It is the right advice, and it is it the right, was it the right time, I
0: feel. Well, for the boot camp, yeah. That was yeah. what was what. The most pleasurable thing about boot camp was after years of doing guiding, where you've got cust- paying customers. I didn't have paying customers, you know. We weren't getting paid for this. So I could yeah. be as rude. I could just say exactly. I had a great deal of pleasure saying, shouting at Barney, saying, pull your fucking finger out and get over here.
1: <laughs> mate, <laughs> mate, my favourite. <laughs> Of the whole thing of the boot camp was still forever. The first ever boot camp was Joe Dart on the radio. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go into it now, obviously, but every time I see him, every time we fly cross country together, I'm on the radio to Joe. I'm like, Joe, Joe, you know like over here. It's my I live, That'll be one of my fondest paragliding memories.
0: Yeah, we've had a lot of fun doing we? we have had a God, lot of fun.
1: Fantastic. Um, mate, so we're just over an hour. We'll, um, uh, what I'd like to know now is what you're doing away from paragliding now. All well, this is over, mate. How are you? What do you do with your time when you're away from paragliding?
0: Well, I've got a young family. I've got, two, uh, I've got a 14-year-old and a 7-year-old girl. Uh, I have a dog. I have a house, which I'm basically a caretaker of my house now. I don't uh, this is everything it's like living in faulty towers around here something's breaking all the time my kids tend to break stuff every so I, I enjoy I really enjoy fixing things repairing things uh, I have to enjoy that because what I'm doing all the time yeah. I'm trying to fix up a car as well which is um um which was well, taken a bit of a back burner for the moment but mostly at the moment I'm uh, what car uh, it's uh, it's a rover p6 which is a, which is an old crappy English B seventies uh, yep. car. Most people had, had um, aspire to like Lamborghini Countach or something like that. Whereas <laughs> my dream car was always a Rover P6. It's mostly, mostly driven by doctors, I think, back in the seventies <laughs> and eighties. Um, so I'm, I'm 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 slowly getting that back to how I want it. Uh, just having it working would be nice at this stage, though. So um and uh and i love i enjoy the simple things actually walking the dog the dog has been the biggest um has been a great addition to our family we have a three-year-old boxer so i spend my time walking the dog doing diy spending time with the girls i've actually really enjoyed this period um just to be with the girls just to be with the family and um, um and do that but otherwise i've i've i um I'm not doing a great deal more. You know, flying has been such a huge central part of my life. Um, And um, I'm fortunate that I can do that on a daily basis uh, at work during the week. So come a weekend, I'm I'm not really... I I mean, maybe I'll get out once a year on a really good day to go cross-country at the weekend. Um, Otherwise, I'm quite happy to, 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 to be at home and be with the kids and the family.
1: Yeah, well hopefully uh hopefully we'll get a north south Cup this year, mate, and you'll have to get over and fly that, definitely. Cause even if we have to push it right until the late end of the year, you'll have to get over and fly that this year just so that you get something some fly in done.
0: Well, I did the North South Cup years ago and uh because Hugh and uh, Jim were saying, oh, you've got to come over. And jockey was saying, you've got to come over and do this North-South Cup. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back to the UK to do some flying. I mean, that's just pointless. <laughs> anyway, what, so one year I said, right, OK, I'm coming. And um, I booked my flight. And, I, you know, when I booked the flight, I didn't even expect to get the glider out the bag. Yeah. Um, we went up, well, the first day we went to Scotland and flew 150k uh, south and landed in the Midlands somewhere.
1: From
0: Tinto I know, it was two hundred. It was two hundred k, wasn't it? I can't remember yeah. now. Yeah, from Tintagel. Yeah, it was two hundred yeah. k. Yeah, two hundred k. Yeah,
1: 100, 196 <laughs> declared, I think it was, and then the people went right, on two hundred. Like
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the following day, we flew from Stroud back to Brighton, which is where I was based. Yeah. Um, and then the the, the following morning, I flew back home, and I was like, I can't believe I just came back to the UK <laughs> for the North South Cup. And flew 350k in a weekend. <laughs> so I was made up. So I came the following year, and we had um, we had a great flight all the way from the north of Wales down to Krakow, I think it was. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that,
0: uh, yeah. that was just an epic flight as well, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah,
1: it was amazing.
0: Um, I, and then the following year, I said, right, well, it can't happen three years in a row. It's not going to happen three years in a row. So I didn't come. And you had even better conditions,
1: Yeah,
0: Lake District last year was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I will be back for the North South Cup. It's my favourite sort of competition and flying. And uh, it's not a competition. It's just just my favourite sort of flying. And um, good to hook up with everyone and get some beautiful UK cross country. So I will be back. I don't know if it will be next year, but I certainly will be back.
1: Yeah superb um mate before you go a couple of pieces of advice one piece of advice for someone who's new in the sport what they should do to get the most out of the sport and the other piece of advice is someone who's right on the edge of they want to make the leap to to do something more either racing or step up or something so one piece of advice for each of those people mate
0: i think for beginner pilots the best thing you can do is to watch every video read every book read every mag- magazine, absorb as much information as you can from every different source, and then get yourself in with a good group of people. Get yourself in with good, positive pilots that are going to steer you sensibly in the correct direction. You want to uh, try and avoid uh, you know, the guys that are a bit too gung-ho, and you also want to avoid the ones that are a bit too negative. Um, you just need to be with the right group of people um, to be able to develop your own flying. And for people that want to take it to the next level, then you need to come and compete. You need to come and roll, uh, for competing uh, for competitions. Um, you need to, to, to get out there and do some competitions. Start yourself off with the Shabra Opens. Start yourself off with the, with the British Championships, the British Opens, uh, the, the various national Opens. It's always good to get out and do the Dutch and the Belgians or the Nordics or the, something like that because it, you'll meet amazing people from all over the world um, and then you can get yourself up to a better standard to fly in the, the good level competitions like the world cups where where it is the learning ground it's the proving ground it's the learning ground and by flying with the good pilots regularly you will improve your flying
1: yeah superb mate listen i'm re- so appreciative of you coming on mate and giving me your time I, I could chat to you oh, for my
0: pleasure.: My pleasure, Wesley. Yeah. Thank
1: you, mate. Look, you, I, I, we spent hours chatting in person, so I know we would chat for hours, but um, mate, I'm going to let you go and enjoy your, your family and the rest of the lovely French we- weather. But mate, thank you very much for joining me.
0: My pleasure, mate. you take care.